This is Inner Healing Paths podcast. Here we discuss the healing of the mind, body, soul, and spirit through a variety of different paths. We have emotional and spiritually minded conversations centering on ancestral healing, psychology, astrology, yoga, meditation, magic, and indigenous spiritual practices of the world. I am your host, Rosa Shetty, and I am so happy you are here. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of Inner Healing Paths podcast. I'm your host, Rosa, and thank you for joining us. So this episode is with Mark Wallen. He is a bestselling author. He wrote a book titled, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End cycle. So in this interview, we talk about what is inherited family trauma or generational transmission of trauma. He shared about some of the research behind the inherited trauma. He talked about how it can manifest as physical illnesses, not just emotional uh, manifestations. We talked about the trauma language, and he also generously shared some tips and advice on how you can start your own healing journey. And in the interview, you're going to hear me share a little bit about my story and how I became aware of my own inherited trauma. And I just had such a wonderful time talking to him. I learned so much and I know you will too. So without further ado, take a listen. Hi, Mark. Hi, Rosa. How are you doing? Hi, doing very well. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yes, thank so, you for thank thank you so much for for being for agreeing to be on my show. Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I've been, I, I've 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 been um, you know I've read your books and I've been a fan of your work for a long time. So this is such a treat for me. Oh, Rosa, that's that's nice. Yeah. That's so nice. are you ready? I'm ready. Tell me. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Sort let's. Of- Let's, yeah, let's get started. So for our listeners, you know, those that are not familiar with your work, um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the healing work that you do? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, I I see myself as the guy with the flashlight. You know, I'm shining it on the the symptoms and the behaviors that that we can't explain. Um, So I help people, both clinicians and non-clinicians recognize the importance of generational trauma and its biological effects on subsequent generations. So I've developed a way of looking at trauma language, um, helping us become detectives of this trauma language so that we can uncover it and discover that it's leading us back to either an event in our family history or an event in our early childhood or infancy or even the pregnancy. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, uh, basically, we're all walking around with a mystery that we can't explain. We're all living Absolutely. with this mystery. You know, we have unexplained um, fears or anxiety that strikes suddenly when we reach a certain age or get into a certain situation, or we have a depression that we can never get to the bottom of. 
we have these symptoms, but but they may not be ours. You know, just like Absolutely. the book says, just like the book says, it didn't start with you. These symptoms exactly. could be the the residue of traumas that um, stem from our family history, and we've mm-hmm. biologically inherited this from our parents and grandparents. Yeah, no, absolutely. For me, it was such an eye opener when I finally realized and made those connections. Uh, I mean, I, I was, I was aware of my own lived experiences and the traumas that you know that I've experienced. But when I became aware that some of the things that I was struggling with actually go way back, and to be able to map it out was just for me. Um, just a life changer. It just it just changed my pers- my whole perception of, of of myself and even you know some personality traits. You know sometimes you don't even realize how the extent of how these these traumas or these huge events that your that our ancestors, our grandparents, parents experienced. You know and how they still play out. You know the energy of these still very much play out, and the awareness of it is huge. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, so I have people look at um, the events of their parents, the events of their grandparents, the events of their aunts and uncles, but also the events that took place in utero um, and that took place in our early life. So even though I'm the generational guy, I'm the inherited trauma guy, um, I find that half of the work sits in attachment issues, um, our early relationship with our mom. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, just how did, how did you get started in this field? How did you, you know, how did, because this, I mean, for me, it's such a fascinating field, but, you know, it, for me it was through books and, you know, but I'm just curious for you, you know, how, how did you get into this inherited quite, trauma? Quite accidentally, I assure you. <laughs> like many of us, I had symptoms I couldn't explain. About 30 years ago, I began to lose the vision in one of my eyes and I was diagnosed with a chronic form of retinopathy and then the doctors couldn't cure it. And they, you know, they said, look, yeah. we think we think it's stress, but the way it was progressing, um, they told me I was likely gonna lose the vision in my other eye as well. Mm. And I was pretty freaked out. I was yeah. um, desperate to find help. So I went on a search for healing mm-hmm. and this search led me halfway around the globe, um, literally as far as Indonesia, where I learned from several wise um, teachers who taught me some fundamental principles um, of life, one of which was the importance of healing our relationship with our parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, my relationship with my parents was completely broken. And before I could really heal, I, I had to heal what stood in the way, um, which was inherited family trauma. I didn't know it at the time, but specifically the anxiety that I had inherited um, throughout the family uh, from my grandparents, really. Each of my grandparents, um, were all they were all orphaned in some way. Three of them lost their mothers when they were babies. And the fourth lost her father when she was one. So ultimately she loses... Um, her, her mother in the grief, but this anxiety, this was the real cause of my vision loss. And, and just like my parents before me, I had inherited um, this feeling of being broken from, from my mother's love, um, just like they had being the children of orphans. And this is what had passed down 
into my family. I remember, oh gosh, uh, being a small boy, maybe five or six, feeling panicked whenever my mom would leave the house and I'd run into her room uh, and I'd start pulling open her drawers and crying into her scarves, Mm -hmm. crying into her scarves and her nightgowns, thinking that I'd never see her, that I'd never see her again and that her smell would be the only thing I had left. Now, this would have been true for my grandparents. They would only have had a garment, you know, a a shirt or a sweater, a house, house coat or something that their mothers had left behind. So, you know, this was my pattern. My mom leaves and I'm breathing in her scent. And 40 years later, I shared this with my mom. I said, you know, mom, when you were gone, when I was little, I'd run into her room and cry into her clothes. She said, oh, honey, I did the same thing. And my sister reading the book said, you did that too. I did that too. And and that was the family pattern. So after healing, just one more sentence, really just so after healing the broken bond with my mom, um, which is why I keep looking at attachment mm-hmm. as well. Uh, my mm-hmm. sight came back. Uh, my, my vision came back. And afterwards, I felt mm-hmm. compelled to share the principles I learned and ultimately developed a um, method for healing the effects of inherited family trauma. Yeah. So, I mean, so amazing and so fascinating, right? How that just kind of all plays into and it manifests in these very physical symptoms that are very real. We experience them and, and just the, the awareness that you gain of having this understanding of inherited family trauma, how it can help you even heal physically, you know, some of, or at least have an understanding of where these physical symptoms are coming from, which is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, And when it comes to inherited trauma, you know, how it just in very general terms for the folks that are listening and may not be familiar with this at all, how would you describe this or define this? Yeah, that's a a really good question. You know, what what is it and how am I affected by it? So let's say that one of our parents or our grandparents lost their mom or their dad when they were young or, or our mother or father maybe they were sent away to be raised by relatives or placed in an orphanage or a residential school, boarding school, or maybe one of their, you know, their siblings um, died tragically when they were little. An event like this can devastate the family and the reaction to the trauma doesn't necessarily stop with the people who experienced it. So the feelings and the sensations specifically um, the stress response, the way the genes express, this can pass forward to the children and the grandchildren, affecting them in a similar way, even though they didn't personally experience the trauma. Okay, that's, yeah, that that's such a, you know, and, and I think a lot of folks don't have um, that awareness, right, that of how it can really be passed on from one generation to the next. And, and I know there's, tons of research now, thankfully, you know, about this. And, and I think that this research has really brought some of that awareness, you know, and, and are you familiar with any, any of the research or oh, yeah. anything I mean, out there? As you know, yeah. from, can you, you share? From the, yeah. As you know, from the book, I mean, the biggest yes. chapter, the <laughs> chunk, chunkiest chapter yes. of the book is all about the research here. I'll, I'll start at the, the beginning, really. I mean, just what happens when there's a trauma, uh, when a trauma happens, it changes us. I mean, literally, it causes a chemical change in our DNA. And, and this changes how our genes function, um, sometimes for generations. 
So technically, there's this terrible event, this traumatic event, somebody dies, some, some, uh, somebody leaves, uh, we're small, and, and a chemical tag attaches to our DNA, and it tells the cell to use or ignore certain certain genes enabling us to better deal with this thing that just happened this trauma and then the way our genes are affected changes how we act or we feel for example we can become sensitive or reactive to situations that are similar to the original trauma even if that trauma occurred in a previous generation so that we have a a, a better chance of surviving it in this generation I'll give you an example. Um, if our grandparents came from a war-torn country, uh, people are being shot, bombs are going off, uniformed men are lining people up in the square, people are being taken away. Um, we never see our parents again. Something, you know, our grandparents would develop and pass forward a skill set from this trauma. Let's say sharper reflexes would be one. A part of the skill set or quicker reaction times or reactions to the violence to help them survive this trauma that, that they experience. Now they're going to pass this forward. But the problem is, is we could inherit a stress response, their stress response with the dials set to 10. And here we are prepared for this trauma, this catastrophe that never arrives. And we live not in a war-torn city, we live in the suburbs, and we rarely make the link that our anxiety, our hypervigilance, our depression is connected to our parents and our grandparents. We just think we're wired this way, Rosa. We, you know, we, we never think to connect it. You know, simply put, memories of trauma are imprinted in our parents and grandparents, sperm cells and egg cells. And this information passes forward to us. And then as a result, we're, we're born with altered brains that are preparing us biologically to cope with traumas that are similar to the ones they experienced. And, you know, the, the interesting part about that is that even though I think collectively we all have an awareness that these events, these large scale events, of course, are traumatizing, but sometimes we lose the connect or the link, you know, we don't, we're not aware of that, that individual link, right. That, that this war that happened maybe, you know, three generations ago or, you know, how it trickles down, you know, absolutely. so I, I absolutely, yeah. you know, that's, that's the problem. We're not thinking about the past where we're living in the present, going about our lives. And all of a sudden we hit a certain age or we enter a certain relationship or we move to a new city. And then all of a sudden, you know, people uh, always ask me this question. I think I'll just answer this question. You know, people say, what are the signs of inherited trauma? How do I yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Good. I knew you were probably going to ask yeah, me. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I think that's what people want to know, yeah. right? It's like, how do I know for me? Yeah, go ahead. Please share with us. Yeah, no, no. It's such a such an important question. You know, people are always saying, well, how do I know, how do I know if I'm affected? And, you know, sure, we can be born with an anxiety or, or a depression and never separate it from the events of the previous generation. That's true. But we can also experience a fear or a symptom uh, or an illness that strikes suddenly or unexpectedly 
as soon as we reach a certain age and, and, or hit a certain milestone or event in our lives, for example, age 30 is when our grandmother loses our grandfather and she never marries again, never dates again. She's a widow the rest of her life. And then our parents, without realizing the connection, they get divorced or separated around 30. And then here we are three generations later around the same age. Um, we look at our partner and we say, yeah, she or he doesn't do it for me anymore without realizing the connection. Now, So the age is yeah. one thing, but also certain events or milestones that we hit into. For example, as soon as we get married, um, you know, this can be one of those triggering events. In the book, you remember me uh, talking about this woman um, who felt trapped in her marriage. She loved this guy. She she couldn't wait to marry him. You know, she's thinking this is the greatest guy in the world, and he is. But now that she's married, she's feeling trapped. And so we looked in her family history, and we saw that both grandmothers were given away as child brides at age nine and age 12 to much older men. This happened back in Lebanon. And the, the traumas expressed differently in each of the sisters. So one, one sister married a much older man, like the grandmothers, a guy 40 years older. The other sister, one felt trapped. And then the third sister, man, she refused to get in relationships at all uh, because she didn't want to be trapped. So getting married could be a triggering event. Another trigger could be moving to a new place. And then suddenly, Rosa, we become depressed, like our ancestors um, who were persecuted or who were forced out of you know, their homeland. Another event could be um, being rejected by our partner. And then all of a sudden we dip into this terrible grief and the grief is insurmountable. And we don't realize it, but it's taking us back to an earlier grief, perhaps even one in our own life, maybe when we had a break in the attachment with our mom. Um, another one is we go to have a child. And all of a sudden, there's this ancestral alarm clock that starts ringing. I once worked with this woman. Um, she was consumed with anxiety, and she had no idea why. And so we're working together, and I said, so when did this anxiety begin? And she said, well, well, when I got pregnant seven months ago. And I said, oh, that makes sense. So um, tell me about other people who got pregnant in your family. Because she was telling me she had this terrible fear of harming her baby. And where did that come from, right? She has this terrible fear of harming her baby. And all of a sudden I said, did you ever harm a baby? And she said, no. And I said, did anyone in your family ever harm a baby? And she said, oh, wait a minute. And she says, oh my God, my grandmother, when she was a young woman, she lit a candle and accidentally caught the curtains on fire and that caught the house on fire and the baby was upstairs sleeping and she tried to run up the steps, but there were flames and she couldn't and her baby died. And, and then the mm -hmm. woman said, but we were never allowed to talk about it. Yeah. And that's interesting because I found that the more we don't talk about things, um, uh, the more that can feed the, feed the, the, the Absolutely. complex. And it's in like that the ahead. energy of a the energy of a secret right like keeping a secret it's just so toxic exactly yeah. so right there in that moment she realized she made the link right she mm -hmm. made the link that she had inherited that terror from her grandmother 
And then after that, we could work together and break the pattern. That's so, that's so amazing. And you know, I, I, that, that story that you just shared, I can relate to it because that, that, that happened to me when I was pregnant, I had this irrational, suddenly this irrational fear uh, of, it was anxiety. It was manifested as severe anxiety, but never in my life had, had I experienced to that extent, the anxiety to that extent, fear, almost like fear of my life, you know, fear that something was going to happen to me, to the baby. Like, you know, it was just this irrational fear that I, I just said, okay, it's anxiety, pregnancy, you know, hormones, whatever, you know, triggers anxiety. And then, you know, that's what, that's what it was, but I had already read your book and I've had already done my, you know, some work in, in this regard. And it didn't hit me while I was pregnant though. It just kind of, after my pregnancy, as I was, you know, recovering postpartum, I started, I, I, you know, it was, it was during COVID time. So I was just, you know, with my baby and just kind of like had some downtime to reflect. I was journaling and it hit me to ask my mom, you know, how her pregnancy was. Like, I just realized, you know, I should find out like, this is really odd for me. And I know the, they say the hormones, but it was like extreme, you know, for me and given my personality, everything, you know, it was just so extreme. And so my mom shared a story with me of something that happened to her when she was pregnant. Then she shared a story with me about my grandma who, you know, rest in peace, she's no longer here and how, um, my grandma was in an abusive relationship, physically abusive relationship. And my mom shared that every pregnancy, like she would, I mean, she was abused the every, always, you know, pregnant or not pregnant, it didn't matter, you know? And then she shared a story of her great grandmother, you know, what she knew um, the same thing had happened. So it was this, this theme of, um, of our life, uh, basically my life is in danger, the life of me and the baby being in danger. Absolutely. And it was, for me, it was such a huge, like moment of realization, like this, uh, just the the legacy of these traumas, how they continue to play out. And I'm kind of tearing up right now, just talking about it with you, because it's, for me, it was such a a difficult time, even though everything was going well, the pregnancy was well, everything, you know, I'm in a very loving, uh, safe relationship, you know, and, and, and yet there was this fear, like something terrible could happen, not absolutely being pregnant means my life could be in danger. Yes. And, and, you know, it wasn't like a fear, like, like physical, like I I could be sick. It it was a a sense of threat in my environment. Like I remember very clearly feeling like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't drive. Like I was thinking, you know, maybe I shouldn't drive because driving is not safe. You know, it's almost like I started um, just kind of pointing, you know, just trying to figure out things outside of me that were, that could potentially be harmful. Um, And it wasn't until after that I realized oh, this was not me. You know, this was did, like you, like the title of your book, right? This did not start with me. Like this is something that goes way back. And, and I'm talking about uh, after, once I realized this after my pregnancy and I, I've actually like, I talked to my mom extensively about it. I, I even had a sense of like wanting to know about my ancestors and what my grandmothers specifically and what they experienced. And I learned that this was a theme, you know, in you know, generation, you know, to generation, like yeah, Rose, being that good, with good men, yeah. yeah, being with men that were toxic and abusive while, you know, in, in pregnancy, of course, you know, just kind of amplified that sense of fear, I'm sure for yeah. them, because now they had to protect another life and they couldn't. Right. So yes, yeah, so I want to share that because this is, this resonates so much with me because I experienced this. 
Good work, good work, yeah. I mean, um, some women in history, of course, have been punched and lost the babies or left when they were pregnant or, um, you know, their husband was cheating or a baby died or the mother died in childbirth. Um, you know, so there's so many fears that can pop up around pregnancy. It is one of those triggering events. Yeah. So these, these are the signs. So we, we have to look for what did I do? What event did I just experience? When did the feelings come about? Who at a similar age in the family had something happen? Who else in a similar event had something happen? So yeah. good work. That's, that's what I, in, in the yeah. book, people be a detective. Yes. Yeah, teaching people how to be detectives of their family history, yeah. to be detectives of their trauma language. Absolutely. I mean, that's the only way to get to, to really understand what has happened, right, is to if you are lucky enough to have, you know, your parents and grandparents and, you know, you have that. And but you know what is interesting? A lot of times our parents, grandparents, et cetera, they, they sometimes don't want to share because of the yeah. trauma. Right. It's so and, and some people actually don't know their answer. You know, they maybe they were adopted uh, or just didn't ha just don't have no. those around them to ask questions, to find out. What would you say to those you know, uh, that don't have those connections of their uh, blood? I would say blood, you know, ancestors or yeah, well you, um, generations. You know the answer because you read my book, because this information lives <laughs> in our trauma yes. language. Mm. It lives in our fears. It lives in our unexplained symptoms. It lives in the destructive or, or even our self-sabotaging behaviors. It lives in the symptoms of an illness that appear after a certain age. It's in our relationship struggles, in the repeated ways that we deal with money, uh, success, failure. Um, all of this gives a glimpse, um, more than a glimpse. It, it actually forms a breadcrumb trail that we can follow back. Uh, even if we don't know the family history, even if we don't know what happened, even if the story's been lost or kept secret or we're adopted, or our parents are gone. Um, we have this breadcrumb trail. So uh, I'm, I'm putting the cart before the horse. Um, what is trauma language, right? So um, how yeah. do people, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Me... I mean, please, you know, if you can explain that, because I know that's part of the, I mean, yeah, it's in your book, but, you know, for those, you know, for those are, um, that have not read your book or are not familiar with that core trauma language, you yeah. know, what is I'm your perspective people, on that? I'm telling people that it's in the trauma language and they're, and they're probably wondering, what right. is trauma? Okay, look, yeah. so I've discovered. So when a trauma happens, not only do, are there changes, molecular changes in our DNA. I mean, that's true. But, but when a trauma happens, also clues are left behind in, in our uh, emotionally charged words and sentences. For you, clues were left in pregnancy as soon as you got pregnant. There was this breadcrumb yes. trail mm -hmm. starting to emerge. But when we're looking at the verbal and nonverbal trauma language, which I'll talk about. So let, let's talk about the verbal language first. So I found that the, just in our emotionally charged words and sentences, there's already a breadcrumb trail. That when we learn to follow it, we can find the missing piece of the puzzle, um, which allows that whole picture to come into view, which is what you discovered by asking your mom, and finally gives us a context to why we feel the way we feel. Now, why trauma language? So as we know from trauma theory, 
when a traumatic event happens, significant information bypasses our frontal lobes. So the experience of the trauma, the experience of exactly what happened can't be named or, or ordered through words because it bypasses the frontal lobes where we can make sense of it. Mm-hmm. In other words, also our language centers get compromised. So without language, our experiences get stored as fragments of memory, fragments of body sensations, fragments of images, fragments of language, fragments of emotions. It's like the mind disperses and essential elements get separated. So we, another way to say it is we lose the story um, and never complete the healing because we don't really have the story. It's sort of splattered, scattered. So what I've discovered is the pieces aren't lost. They've just been rerouted, rerouted. And then they resurface later into verbal and nonverbal trauma language. So when it's verbal, we, we look for the physical uh, words like, um, I'll harm my baby, like that woman said, when yeah. it's verbal, or, or I'll, I'll die, I'll be forgotten, or mm-hmm. there'll be nobody there, I'll be all alone, I'll be rejected, I'll be abandoned. This is verbal trauma language. Okay. And then we ask, who was abandoned? Who was rejected? Who was betrayed? Who was humiliated? So we, we can follow that trail. But when it's nonverbal like yours, we have to look for the physical or emotional symptoms that show up after an unsettling event. For you, getting pregnant made you scared, to made you concerned about your safety and the safety of your baby, which is brilliant. You were following the nonverbal trauma language. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what I tell readers is you have to look for the fears and the anxieties uh, that strike suddenly when we reach a particular age, or you know, often it's the same age that something traumatic happened in the family history, or we look for the depression or the destructive behaviors that arise after a situation that's similar to some trauma in our family history. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, not so long ago, I worked with a woman who developed cancer um, after her dog died. And so I said, well, well, tell me about your dog. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, I was with him for 16 years. He was Mm -hmm. everything to me. So I'm writing down what she's telling me. I was with him for 16 years. He was everything to me. And then I said, all right, tell me about your family history. Well, listen to this. Her, Her mother's favorite brother was killed in a car crash when the mother was 16. And this was everything to her, right? Everything to her. And her father was also the, you know, my client's father was also 16 when his father died suddenly of a massive stroke who he and he adored his father. So the client being an only child is, is carrying the unresolved grief and pain epigenetically. Remember traumas are imprinted in the mother's egg cells, the father's sperm cells, they come together, form the embryo, the fetus. And, and you know, so here we are um, carrying our parents' traumas again, but having health issues after 16 years when the dog dies, that's part of her nonverbal trauma language. And oh, the, fascinating. The, verbal, the verbal language mm-hmm. is, I, I was with him for 16 years. He was everything to me. You see how we can start mm-hmm. to, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
And those connections are just, um, you know, the, the, I feel like for folks, sometimes it's very hard. I mean, just, you know, day to day, if you haven't really done a lot of reading or done in, uh, done a lot of research or had therapy into this, it's very hard to pick up on these cues, which is, uh, or these, well, I mean, you mentioned your patient had cancer. That's not a, a subtle cue by any means, but, you know, it, it, sometimes it's hard to make that connection. Well, but this is what I do in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, all of us, as I began saying today, all of us are struggling with a mystery. Can't explain it. And we're all walking around. Why do I have these obsessive thoughts? Why do I have this anxiety in a crowded room? Why do I sink into depression every time um, my partner um, leaves the house? You know, we can't figure these things out. We must inquire. We must be detectives. We must do self-inquiry. And that's what I, that's why I wrote the book to turn people into detectives and to figure out why they say the things they say and why they experience the things they feel. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of inquire, inquire, do your self work, look, look at your behaviors, look at your language. And that's why I wrote this book. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, one of the, uh, I know you provide a lot of exercises that I, I did in. Oh, good. Book, I'm and glad you did. Yeah, that. no, I did. And, you know, I was surprised to, I had a lot of, I got a lot of insight and, and I think that uh, one of the the things that you emphasize a lot in your book is that writing reflection process, like journaling almost, you know, but being able to, but from, from a perspective, very intentional perspective of, you know, so, and it's interesting how sometimes when we just set time, set that time aside to really reflect on these questions, sometimes the answers seem to just come out of our hand as we're writing, you know, it's so fascinating. And I, and I, and I deeply believe, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. So I believe that the spirit, your intuition is almost like when you set that intention to inquire, like you said, to investigate, to look deep within yourself for answers that you can't really explain, somehow, you know, if you set that time aside, these answers do come up. I don't know if you've experienced this with other, you know, with, you know, yourself or with other um, clients that somehow they just, the answers come up, you know, and, and you don't have proof of it. Maybe you don't even have your parents alive anymore to answer these questions, but it feels like this we're is talking it. about trusting the potency of the soul, because it's, uh, that's really yeah. what it is. You know, when we, when we yeah. inquire, when we get thinking out of the way, when we, you know, when we don't think, when we really um, go into the body and experience the, uh, the, the way the ultimate, the way um, whatever we want to call it um, lives inside of us, when we get out of our own way, uh, you know, I remember there's this great quote by Eckhart Tolle. He said um, that great thinkers, it's not that they know how to think, it's they know how not to think. And I've always loved that because it's true. I love that. When yeah. we get out of our own way and we just go inside and we either reflect, meditate, uh, practice some form of mind, mindfulness, um, then, you know, it's as though that information was always there in the first place. Yeah. And it's, it's just trusting that, inf- like what comes out, right. And, and right. knowing like, this is, this is your intuition. This is what's leading you, you know? And I, I think that when we set out to start on a healing path or a healing journey, you mentioned the breadcrumbs, we're going to find these breadcrumbs throughout, you know, because this is our, we've set that intention to heal. And I think that is the, the most powerful intention you can set to start having these insights. Right. I am yeah. with you, with you 100%. Yeah. 
And, you know, what about those, um, you know, if if you can um, give a few tips on those that want to start healing, maybe don't know where to start, you know, how, how would that look like for them? What do you recommend? All right. So for simply put to heal, we've got to change our brain. So we, we have this, we have this evolutionary brain that's oriented toward what's negative and it remembers what's negative and it um, focuses on what's negative. Um, And we have this overactive amygdala that they show in in trauma can be twice the size of a a normal amygdala. We've got to have positive experiences, literally multiple positive experiences that can change our brain. And then we need to practice the new feelings and the new sensations of these positive experiences. When we do this, we not only create new neural pathways, but we also begin to stimulate the release of uh, feel-good neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine and GABA and feel-good hormones um, like estrogen and oxytocin. Even the very genes involved in our body's stress response, the ones we talked about earlier that become chosen um, to enable us to have a better outcome, um, our genes can begin to respond, can begin to function in a, in a different way, an improved way. We can change the way our DNA, DNA expresses. Now, how do we do that? So the positive experiences I'm talking about can be practices of um, receiving comfort or support, you know, like I teach in the book, um, or feelings of compassion for our parents, which I also teach in the book, or for ourselves, or feelings of gratitude, uh, because these create um, a, a, a states like this, experiences like this, feed the prefrontal cortex and help us reframe the stress response. So it has a chance to calm down. It has a chance to downregulate. Um, gratitude, generosity, uh, loving kindness practice, doing something kind for somebody every day, practicing mindfulness, ultimately anything that allows us to feel peace or strength or joy inside, anything that engages our sense of wonder, curiosity, or awe. The idea, Rosa, is to pull traction away from the limbic system, our overactive amygdala, and bring engagement to the forebrain, specifically our prefrontal cortex, where we can integrate these new experiences and, and we can, and our brains have a chance to change. We know from mindfulness studies, and I talk about these in the book, that practicing mindfulness actually shrinks the amygdala and thickens the prefrontal cortex. Um, you know, I'd say to put it in a nutshell, we need to practice being with um, the uncomfortable sensations at first in our body, because that's what we find when we start to meditate. We start to find, ah, um, you know, there's these feelings of terror, these feelings of tightness, or these feelings of a tight neck. Uh, We need to practice being with the uncomfortable sensations in our body until we reach what's beneath them. And and, and I want to emphasize that. Beneath what's uncomfortable are sensations that we can experience as being life-giving, sensations like pulsing, tingling, softening, expanding, blood flowing, waves of energy, waves of warmth. You know, when I go in, I feel like a, a figure eight spiral that goes in my body. And, you know, it's, you know, 
uh, and then we need to be able to hold these sensations um, for at least a minute and, and do that at least six times a day. So really what we're talking about minimally is doing something that feels that we can stay within our body that feels positive and do that six times a day. That can be enough to change our brain. That can be enough to calm our stress response, downregulate our amygdala. Well, wow, thank you. Thank you for that. I think uh, it sounds simple, right? To do this six times a day in this for a minute. Um, and yet it's so hard, right? And I think that's where the healing comes through, right? To be able to sit with the discomfort of these, uh, these feelings that come up, because that is, I think in essence, uh, that is the, the gist of it, right? And when it comes to healing trauma, we really do have to be able to sit with this discomfort that triggers that triggers us you know that triggers our trauma and that's that's the hardest part so if you're able to get well, well, through that you know please a lot of us have a broken relationship with our mom i did you know and, and a lot of people they can't have contact with their mom because they're afraid they'll get hurt again or, or she's not very kind Sometimes I, uh, and it could stem from being in an incubator when we're small or, or she were, was struggling with dad when we were an infant or even in utero and we stopped trusting um, her love. Sometimes I have people um, put a photograph of their mom, let's say over their left shoulder above their pillow at night and, and look at that photo right before they go to bed because that's one of the most important times for neuroplastic change. And look at that photograph and say, hey, mom, you know, in real life, we don't do very well, but I'm going to talk to your higher self here. I'm going to visualize this guided by some sort of higher force. And mom, could you hold me in my sleep, hold me while I'm sleeping and help me heal this bond that broke between us and help me trust your love because I don't trust it or, or teach me how to feel safe or, or how to receive your love or how to let it in so I can feel safe in my body. And in a simple practice like that, you know, uh, looking at the photo of your mom and then closing your eyes and visualize this didn't happen in real life, but it's happening right now because Rosa, the brain doesn't know where healing comes from. It doesn't care. It just wants the healing and visualization, as you know, from my book is just as potent as having something happen in real life. The same regions of the brain, the same neurons activate. That is so beautiful. I mean, it just, just visualizing doing that exercise, I, I could imagine um, how healing it would be, right? To, to connect not to your mom in the physical sense, because like you said, a lot of folks don't feel safe physically being around certain people, but talking almost to their soul, right? You're speaking to their soul. And like you said, your brain doesn't know the difference. So connecting to that it could be just so powerful. And I'm curious if, if any of your clients have reported that they do that and Absolutely. somehow their, their, their mom, their mom comes, comes <laughs> somehow calls or somehow, you know, just yeah. something happens that connects them in real life. In, yes. Because, you know, we, we're, the, the veil is thin. We're all connected. And, um, but, you know, the, I, I've been giving this practice for about 30 years to, clients. And the reason I keep giving it is it's, it, it, it heals. It heals. Absolutely. Soon after a week or two, they start to feel softer. They may call their mom in real life. 
you know, office they find their mom is softer. You know, sometimes I give people the words. Let's say you have a really broken relationship with your mom. Just these words to your mom in real life can be amazing. You know, mom, I like that we're close. And your mother's thinking, what? She thinks or he thinks we're close? Oh, oh, we're close. Oh, and then that opens a door for mom to feel close and you to feel close. And it's crazy. But but words are, as you know, through my book, I talk about them constantly, have so much potency. Absolutely. And I could go on and on, right? Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. And, you know, thank you again for sharing so much, yeah. uh, so much information and wisdom. We can talk about this forever. I mean, this is such yeah. a fascinating topic, but, you know, for the folks that would like to get to know more about you and the work that you do, how can they find you? How can they find your work? Yeah. Um, well, if they want to take a training with me, they can go on markwoolen.com. Uh, and I just completed a really good training for people who um, are coaches or clinicians or therapists um, or even just want to learn how to inquire and go more deeply inside themselves. That's there. But also um, on my Facebook page, I list all the studies that have come out recently um, that we can learn about for attachment and generational uh, traumas and how our DNA is affected. So that's on my Facebook page. And um, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Go to no, those two thank, places. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a lot of information out there. And if yeah. they want to work with you, you, know, you, people everywhere. Yeah, you have more than, and of course, your book, right? And of course, the book. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love the book. It's still a bestseller after all Absolutely. these after all these years. It's still um, it's actually sold more copies last week than it has ever since it's come out. That's um, amazing. Wow. It's one of those books that people tell other people and they tell other people. So I'm very proud of the book. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, if you want to work with one of us, someone I've trained or me, if I you know I have a little bit of a waiting list, but um, come to the website. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. Oh, and you're so welcome, and thank you for, for sharing with, with me today and, and for taking the time to, to be here with us. I appreciate it. My absolute pleasure, Rosa. Thank you. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you found it healing and nourishing to your mind and soul. If there's a friend that you think would benefit from listening to this information, please share it. Share about our podcast. If you feel called to, please leave us a review as this really, really helps boost our presence here in Apple Podcasts and it makes it easier for others to find us to stay up to date on new episode releases and special events and projects that I'm working on. You can follow us on Instagram at Inner Healing Paths Podcast, and you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to my website, which is rosachettilcsw.com. And I will include this information and links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again next time.